Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matt Penny is in the building. Penny and I are going to talk about two things. First, we're going to talk a little bit about Daryl Morey resigning over in Houston, uh, one of the longest tenured general managers and leads of basketball ops in the NBA, has decided to leave that position which, uh, given Daryl's tenure in Houston, I think is very interesting and discussion worthy. The second thing we're going to do here is we're going to do an NBA mock draft with the first round. Penny and I are going to go back and forth, taking the guys that we think should be taken, where they should be taken. We'll get into the ground rules of that after we jump in. So, Penny, how you doing, man? I'm happy to be here. First international podcast, so thanks for having me. I'm, I'm more throwing it back at you. I know you're in the hotel, just checking in on your mental well-being. How are you doing? Things are good. Yeah, I think that Laura and I have three more days left in this hotel. Uh, we're ready, I think, to right. go. I think that's one way to put it. We're ready to go. But like, look, at the end of the day, it's hard for me to complain like a ton either because the hotel that we're in, we have a great view of the Sydney Harbor. People literally just like knock on our door, bring us food and then walk away. Like we literally get served our like three meals per day uh, and don't have to do anything for it. It's almost like we're not living real life. So that's kind of nice, but I'm also kind of ready to get back to living real life. Yeah, it sounds like a good setup. It sounds like a little bit of the NBA bubble when staffs first got there and I work with the guy. <laughs> on Under Armour events, and he does some college basketball stuff with us, Daniel Roy, and he was in basketball game day operations, so he had to quarantine when he got there. Yep. And I forget who wrote the article, but he he's a structure guy, a workout guy. So he said he would wake up in the morning, and on his Apple Watch, he measured how far it was running from the bathroom to the window. So he'd go back and forth for a mile, and that was like his workout. So I don't know if you're at that point yet, but um, in three days at least you can get outside and breathe some fresh air yeah no laura and i are very excited to get to melbourne um sydney has been a nice little I, I wouldn't even say it's a treat given the fact that we're in a hotel and can only look at the harbor versus go see the harbor and the opera house and everything like that but uh you know th this two weeks could have gone considerably worse i think uh could have gone like the playoffs went for houston this year which was exceedingly poorly and ultimately i would imagine played a role in daryl morey's departure so when you saw the news yesterday that uh woge broke that daryl morey is departing from houston uh what was your immediate thought i was a little surprised i mean i think i was a little bit less surprised than maybe you were i mean we talked about a little bit just stylistically how they made up their team this year they had to kind of rely on as you would say, funky outcomes. And they didn't necessarily play the exact style that he was kind of known for. And I saw a tweet today. I unfortunately forget who it's from. I'm not trying to steal people's work, but it showed the shot charts of all NBA teams from before he was GM to after his GM. And before you just kind of see all these dots and marks kind of in the paint, some mid range, a couple threes here and there. And now almost to a team, it's all threes and all shots in the paint. So clearly had a huge impact on that uh I, I mean kind of what was your take when you heard the news so my first thought went to wondering 
how the whole thing went down. And we'll talk about that in a minute here. But before we get to that, I want to talk about just like his legacy, I guess, in the NBA. I mean, like you said, Daryl Morey was at the forefront of every single offensive innovation that the NBA has seen over the course of the last 15 years. He was there 13 years. He was with Boston before that. Uh, I guess that where I would start is that the way that Daryl pushed the offensive game forward in the NBA is something that was an undeniable positive for the league as a whole. His willingness to push boundaries in that regard, to not accept the status quo, uh, to not accept that the NBA is like a big man's game, which even back in 2005, you could say it was, where the NBA was ruled by Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett won a title uh, with Boston the year after Daryl left Boston, or two years after, I believe. So his willingness to embrace perimeter play and to embrace the three-point shot and free throws and understand what a good shot is and try to push that to its furthest potential, I think has changed the league long-term for the better, unquestionably. Like, people will parse words over that. Like, I'm sure that there are people who want it to be back in my day, the NBA was physical and all this stuff. Well, look... Maury just decided to take the rules that had changed in regard to the way the perimeter players are officiated and take those to the nth degree. It has nothing to do with uh, this. This was going to go this way at some point. Daryl pushed it there faster at the end of the day. Right. And it affects kind of what we're talking about today, too, doing the mock draft. And you look at the boards and 2005 or even before that. I think those years would be saying James Wiseman's the first pick in the draft hard stop. Now yep. he'll still he'll still be a top three guy. Uh, another interesting name is kind of like Udoka, who's like creeping whatever late first, early second. He'd be solidified somewhere in the first round. Just it's changed, and in, in, like you said, bigs are more versatile, make more plays, facilitate a little bit more. How much do you think this year had a direct impact on the court in in him stepping down and him leaving with going with the lineup? of Harden and Russell Westbrook not necessarily playing I'd say as open a style as you kind of described that he's going to be known for as being a trendsetter and ahead of the curve where I mean Steve Kerr jokingly threw shade about you know when we come back as Golden State we're not going to run high ball screens for our main guy 72 times a game so it's an interesting point an interesting question just food for thought yeah no and I think it's a great question uh If you look at them over the course of the Chris Paul years, when Chris was there and was helping Harden run the show, last year they were 26th in pace in the NBA. Like they played pretty slow. This year they upped the pace again to match what their personnel was. And I think that that's another big thing that Maury and that staff, particularly under Mike D'Antoni, did really, really well was... Yeah, they had a specific way that they wanted to play. They had specific areas and shots that they wanted to get, but they also catered that to what was on the court and what their personnel was in order 
to make that work. It wasn't a situation where they tried to fit, you know, square pegs into round holes, right? They really made it work for them. In regard to this year, like, I think Houston did what it could to create more variance in order to try and win a championship. And what do I mean right. by that? I mean that they kind of were strike, strike now, right? Like you, you have Harden; he's still kind of in his his prime years. Put a star next to him and roll the dice and see what happens, right? Well, yeah, you, you have Harden, and anytime you have James Harden, you basically have to try and compete. On top of that, they were very clearly less talented than a lot of the teams that they were playing, like the Clippers. They are undeniably they undeniably have less talent than the Clippers. They have less talent than the Lakers. Uh, Milwaukee was very clearly on the up. So what they had to do was create variance. They had to change the way that they played. And then they had to do something totally different in order to potentially create variance with shots falling. Like at the end of the day, they were going to have to upset someone in the playoffs. And the way that you tend to do that oftentimes is with shooting or with defensive versatility and being able to shut down multiple avenues that teams can score. They tried to do that by going small and switchable with the way that the league is going. They go out and trade for uh, Robert Covington. They sign Jeff Green. They get these guys that can play this role as like kind of a pseudo small ball center and hopefully provide the requisite level of rim protection that they need, while also creating a lot more variance in terms of spacing and three-point shooting and everything. And even though it didn't work, I applaud the ingenuity and the effort to try and make it work. And I think that that's ultimately what I will take away most from Daryl Morey's tenure, is that even though... He was the general manager of Houston in the midst of this Golden State Warriors dynasty that seemed inevitable in many ways. They pushed that Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson team when healthy, when the Warriors were healthy, further than any other team. And it's because they didn't just give up. A lot of teams, whenever the Warriors acquired all of those players started building for two years down the road or three years down the road. Houston didn't do that. They took their superstar and decided we're going to try and win now. And they came damn close. They came within a Chris Paul hamstring injury of potentially beating this super team and engineering what would be recognized as one of the great upsets in NBA history. So People, people go back and look at Daryl Morey and think of him as this incredible, uh, offensive mind who was cold and didn't, didn't care for his players and, uh, you know, treated people like assets. I'm not going to look at that. I'm going to look at it like this guy gave effort and really tried in an era when a lot of people just kind of gave up and thought of the Warriors as inevitable. Yeah, and, and brought him right there to the brink. Like you said, it's a, a CP3 injury away from a completely different series and Eric Gordon 3 bounce away from it being a different series. I think also for this year, it's important to look at like 
they ran into a buzzsaw in the Lakers too, right? Like, yep. The eventual champions with probably the two best players in the playoffs and for at least right now, the NBA. I mean, I, I know it's a little different, but we had the same conversations on the last time we spoke and, and everyone was like, well, how do you, you build like the heat and bam out of bounds, the new guy. And then it, it came back down to earth a little bit when he played Anthony Davis. So like, I don't think also this year was something to write off as the Rockets folding either. I mean, you're a four seed, you win the first round, you lose four, one to Lakers who end up winning the whole thing. So if you had lost a, a different team, maybe, but I think we're on the same wavelength for that from here. I mean, they, the Rockets, kind of move quickly to replace Daryl Morey with Raphael Stone. Are they going to implement similar style next year, or do you think they kind of like start to tweak some things and leave their own fingerprints on how the Rockets going to look? Yeah, I'm not sure about the way that Raphael Stone will do this. Um, it wouldn't stun me if they decided to go a different direction. Like, I don't have any faith in Tillman Fertitta as an owner. Uh, you could tell me that Fertitta tells them that they need to reduce salary next year and it results in a Russell Westbrook trade and all this stuff, right? Like, right. wouldn't stun me at all because I don't really have much faith. Uh, because of that factor, I've been kind of assuming for the last year that Daryl Morey was not long for this job in Houston. Uh I've been, I didn't think it would come this year necessarily. I thought it would be within the next 12 months or so. Uh, but you look at the way that they kind of sold out with their future assets in order to try and compete now. And it seems somewhat clear now that they're probably not going to be able to get there with this roster given the way that the Lakers look, given the way the Clippers look, given the way that some of the teams in the East are rebuilding. I kind of assumed that that along with Tillman Fertitta uh, being not necessarily the owner that is willing to spend a crazy amount of money as he's proven over the course of the last few years. I thought that that would in all likelihood make this a change that was, that was inevitable. Uh, I've said inevitable on this podcast a lot. Um <laughs> Well, it's, it's interesting to say that, too, because NBA Twitter was ablaze and they always have all the answers. But they're saying today about how, oh, do you trade for Embiid or do you trade for this guy? Everyone's available except James Harden. It's like maybe, but like I, I don't know if that necessarily works either. And to what you're saying, they did kind of shoot for this season being it. And if they paid both Harden and Westbrook, like going forward, do they try to do something similar or change course? Um, the pace thing is what I'll be most drawn to is is where the where it fits in between 26 in the league and the bump they had this past season and yeah, like how and much will it still be the james harden pull out of the offense get a bucket which he does but can eat up a lot of clock each possession yeah totally agree and just to kind of move into like the mechanics of how this went down i I guess I'm a little bit surprised that it happened a month after the season ended. I figured that once we got, you know, two, two weeks out that we would get to the point where Maury was probably going to stick around for a while. 
for right. at least, you know, maybe until next off season. But I think that this caught some of the even like lower level people within the organization by surprise uh, that this happened the way it did. Uh, I do think that like people within the organization knew and some of the coaching candidates they interviewed knew uh, from what I gather. But there's a reason that people were surprised by the timing of it. And it's because it is genuinely like it it wasn't necessarily fully expected around the league. It it was one of those things that like you talk about um, as a possibility, but not an expectation. You know what I mean? Right. Like, were you as surprised with the Doc River stuff or you're like, okay, well, that was inevitable to seal your, your buzzword from this podcast? It was about the same okay. for me. Yeah. Uh, I texted a few people after the Clippers lost and I was like, well, something has to change here. And I wonder if it's Doc. Just because it's hard to, like, you can't move Kawhi. You're probably it's not one of moving three Paul things, George. Right? Exactly. Like, I mean, maybe you get rid of all of Patrick Beverly, Marcus Morris, and Jamichael Green, but you're pretty locked into this roster as it is. And maybe you get rid of Montrose Harrell and Lou Williams, but does that make enough of an impact? Maybe it makes an impact in the locker room more than it does on the court. But yeah, I kind of, it's kind of the same deal with me where I thought that it was a possibility, but I did not see it as a certainty that it would happen this year by any stretch. So to just put on our futures cap for one second, outside of emceeing the Sloan Sports Conference, which Daryl Morey helped found, what's your prediction for next basketball steps, albeit maybe not next season? Is he back running a team in a front office? Do you see it trying to go back to contender, maybe an upstart? Well, I think that Tillman Fertitta said that he wouldn't, like he has come out and said since, that he wouldn't be surprised if he... uh ended up on the East coast and that he'll probably run a, run a team somewhere on the East coast at some point again. Uh, I don't think that Maury will be out of basketball forever. It wouldn't surprise me. Like I, I tend to take people at their word, like with what Maury said about wanting to spend time with his kids. Like you're a general manager of an NBA team for 13 years in Houston. When you're more of like an East coast guy, it, I would imagine it's pretty alienating and pretty, tough to deal with that from a family perspective. So I I would imagine that he'll probably be out of basketball for this year, but like I'm looking at the Philly job maybe for next year, whenever Elton brand uh, they're going to give Elton this year, it seems like to try and make some moves, but that makes a lot of sense from a geography standpoint, from a desperate need for a creative mind to step in there and do something with this roster standpoint from just kind of a lot of avenues. I I think that that one makes the most sense in the world. Yeah. And for coaches, for GM guys, sport, football, basketball, it's a drug, right? It's like all these guys say the right things. They're out for a year. You read the article. They're spending so much time with their family. They're going to practices. They're checking out college coaches. And then like a year they throw out the window, like, okay, I need to get back. Like, (laughs) where am I getting back into this? So I'm, I, I don't have nearly the insight until you do the Philly thing. Maybe that makes sense, but I would imagine within a year he's, he's back somewhere up to his old tricks. Yeah. And you know, obviously 
came from Boston originally founded the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, which is run out of, uh, I believe, MIT, isn't it? Technically MIT, but the uh, convention center down the seaport when we're allowed to show up again, which is hopefully soon. But yeah, right. It's a good so, it's a good take when it's open. Yeah. So. Boston, like with Danny Ainge getting, you know, I think Danny's probably 60 at this point. Like, is there a world where he is the next GM after Danny? Like, it's not impossible, I would guess, but I, I, that's just like total, that's total speculation on my part, I think. It, it's just like connecting dots that he used to work in Boston, has a significant footprint in Boston, um, and Danny Ainge is getting older. And then we'll start seeing on Twitter people taking pictures of him at the airport. He just landed in Boston. There he is. He's getting the job. They do like every, <laughs> every free agent football. Oh, Randy Moss is here. He's coming. No, he's not. No, he's not. Uh, all right. We'll take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back to do this mock draft. Okay, and we are back here. Matt, let's uh let's set some ground rules for this mock draft. So we decided uh, on Don't go nuts. I'm 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 prepped here. I hope there's no crazy rules like snake style or you know, I got to take a a four-year college guy that an international or something. I hope this isn't too crazy. I'm locked so, in though. <laughs> so no trades. We decided yep. because it just gets too wild too quickly. Uh this is a mock draft based off of what we would do, not based off of a prediction on what teams will do. Anything else that you can pinpoint that you have questions about? Uh, that makes sense. I, I think for the most part, we're probably in the same stratosphere of guys. You might have to like hum some elevator music if you take like a shooter before I do and there's nobody left else on the board. But other than that, I think we're good. Oh, this will be fun. This will be very fun. Yeah. Um, I, ha- I also have like my Sharpie next to me. It- it's like a fantasy football draft and I don't want to pour salt on the wound, but you're 0-10 in our league, so I should be okay. Yeah. Speak- speaking of fantasy football, <laughs> I-, I play Penny this week in fantasy football. There will be oh, no... Oh, I didn't even know that. That's great. That's why you're doing this. You're like, so you could win and you know, you're a guy who you draft six is really good. Like, ah, I really won. But there- there's got to be like a terror about losing to me in that league now because my team yeah. is like, it's abhorrently bad. Like it is the worst team, like maybe in fantasy football, because I had like four of my first five picks were Dak Prescott, who is out for the year. Michael Thomas, who has missed like just about every game except for the first game. I think he's missed every game except for the first game. Uh, Chris Godwin, who I think has missed three of the five games. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have Deontay Johnson, who has gone out in the middle of two games, like after one catch. Who else do I have? I have someone else who has been like very injured as well. It's but, but the the impressive thing is that Sam's zero and ten because we play two games a week. You play head to head, and then it's a twelve team league. If you score in the top six, it's a win. If you lose in the bottom six, it's a loss. So that way, if I beat Sam one fifty to one forty nine, and there's another game where somebody wins ninety eight to ninety six, it's not just the luck of the draw who you play it's like he would have went one and one so he's lost every game and had the lowest six points every game not trying to get you jazzed up here to make some wild picks but just setting an early precedent oh no it's amazing like okay 
not not only that, I have scored like by far the least points in that league because of course I have. Uh <laughs> I have had the most points scored against my team as well by like a comical amount. Like I've had yeah. 677 points scored against my team. Uh the next closest is 633. So like I'm giving up an average of like 10 points more uh, per game, basically like I needed more difficulties to try and get a win in this league, but everyone just like goes off against my team every time that they play my team. It happens fast paced, but they're running faster than you are. Oh my God. All right, Penny, let's, uh, let's start. I gave you the first overall pick. Uh, this is going to be Minnesota. So go on ahead. And- I did. Go for yep. it. So with the first pick, the 2020 NBA draft, the Minnesota Timberwolves select Cade Cunningham, guard, yes, Oklahoma State. That's a win. I'd love to. I mean, I'm sure Minnesota would love to, too, because he fits so much better than anybody here. But and he's because better Cade, than all Cade, of those guys. <laughs> yes, by uh, an amount, I'll say. Uh, so I'm going to take LaMelo Ball in all seriousness. He's a big creative playmaking guard. He does have high upside, especially the jumper is fine-tuned. He knows how to make plays out of pick and roll, pick and pop. I think that'll help Carl Anthony Towns a little bit too, who John Hollinger ranks as the top pick and pop big in the game. And Melo's ability to play downhill, catch stretches the floor, I think it'll even open up the game more for someone like D'Angelo Russell. I know the defense won't be upgraded here, but it's the top talent play with this pick. Minnesota has another pick. I pick again for them at 17, so that'll likely be a defensive upgrade. So... How concerned are you about the fit with D'Angelo Russell and LaMelo Ball? Yeah, don't love it. I mean, I don't think it's a, a perfect fit, but just looking at the names and these guys in the draft, and we've kind of explained that of him, Wiseman, and Anthony Edwards. He's the one I prefer the most. I mean, there's been plenty of articles out there that at least the first two picks are being shopped around. I don't know if Minnesota feels it's a, a home run fit either, but for the sake of this argument, that is, I think, what my stamp will be. Yeah, I think it's a reasonable pick. Uh, it's currently what I've projected. Uh, I think that they are looking around as much as possible and into potential trade avenues. But if they end up with LaMelo, it's not the worst thing in the world. I do think he has the most upside of any player in this draft. Uh, the fit with D'Angelo, I have way more concerns on defense. I uh, and with Carl Towns, like that's a bottom five defense every day of the week, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but could be a top five offense and that might be enough. So I will go number two. Yes. <laughs> Here we go. This is, this is when it starts. This gets funky. Knowing that I can't trade this pick, which I wholeheartedly think basically every team at the top of this draft from one through five should trade down uh, just straight up. That that's my first inclination here. Trade down. I'm gonna take James Wiseman. Okay. And there are a few reasons why. A, I've just heard great things about how he looks down in Miami. Uh, oh, he does. He looks like a million bucks. I mean, if you've seen the social media stuff, he's in fantastic shape. He's moving really well. He looks more fluid. That's that's the truth. Right. Uh, two. I have a little bit of concern about Draymond Green and his defensive abilities dropping off slightly as he ages. If he needs to be the defensive anchor of this Golden State Warriors team over the next three years, 
I don't know that they're going to be in great shape with that. So I want someone that I think can be a defensive anchor around Stephen Curry, around a coming back from injury, Clay Thompson, and who can hopefully take some pressure off of Draymond Green uh, playing center as much as he's had to uh, prior to the 2019-20 season. I really buy into Wiseman's ability to shoot at some point. Uh, I really buy into everything he can bring from a rim running perspective, from a uh, defensive perspective around the basket. I think he's going to absolutely shut down the paint seven foot one with something like a seven foot six wingspan uh, has the strength to be able to hold his ground whenever guys bump into him. Now uh, that stuff really, really improved over the course of his time in, uh, in high school. Uh, I would say specifically he made a big leap by the time his uh, senior year of high school rolled around. So I really like James Wiseman. I think he's the number two player on the board. But again, I would try and trade down and move this pick if I was Golden State. That's also a really good locker room for him, too, because there has been questions kind of about his consistency at times. And the culture there is kind of like, you know, run with us or you're out. Not yep. that he's anywhere near that level, but those guys, those veteran leaders will pull the best out of him. And I know we kind of just said <laughs> how the game is changing and don't take bigs in the top five. And here's our second pick. He's a seven foot one guy. But for the fit right now of Golden State, if they stay at two, to me, that also makes the most sense. All right. You are up at number three. Number three is the Charlotte Hornets. Three Charlotte Hornets. We'll select Anthony Edwards, Atlanta Express, Holy Spirit Prep, University of Georgia. Like most teams, I'm sure Charlotte wishes this third spot was in next year's draft because there's likely six or seven guys that are more franchisee-type potential guys to build around. Edwards makes sense as offensive pop, despite Charlotte only recently signing Rogier and and Graham proving to be a more than capable guard. I, I know there's red flags about his defense and how defensively he where where he'll be but with his measurables i think he'll end up being all right on that end as he develops as a a prospect as a pro he just for the names on the board i I think that he kind of fits the most of here's some offense here's i don't know if it's a star but uh more of a I'm, I'm like so hesitant to say franchise or star, but he's more of a bigger name type guy that left on the board that could make a punch for a team. Are you at all concerned about his offensive game in the way that he tends to settle for jumpers uh, as opposed to try to drive and take advantage of that elite level level athleticism and length and everything that he has? I am. He settled a lot. And the thing with Anthony is he has a really good first step. He just doesn't always use it. And yep. I don't I don't know if it was like Maui, he's hitting every step back possible against Michigan State. And that was just kind of like his mindset. Or he knew the second defender was coming for a double team as soon as he put it on the floor in the SEC. Because Scout said, if he goes baseline, we can just trap him. He's not going to pass it. He was forced into a lot of bad shots, too. He needs to kind of hone that up. But also with a more open game, I don't think he'll necessarily settle as much as he had to do at Georgia. I know like the shot selection is not great. Uh, I'm, I'm not 100% sold on it. I think I'm even a little bit more concerned about the shot selection than I am the defense. Uh, because, really? Okay. Well, he is 
no chance to be an efficient, effective player if he doesn't work out the shot selection issues. He can still be a valuable player if he's like a poor defender, right? Uh, if he doesn't figure out the shot selection issues and just settles for step backs all the time as opposed to using his athleticism, like that's where he becomes Dion Waiters, not because right. the defense is bad. But he'll also have, with Rogier and, and Devontae Graham, he immediately has two guys who are better shooters than anybody he played with this past season, too. So, yep. other flip of the coin, but I'm with you. Yeah, this would be my pick as well, for what it's okay. worth. Um, Make something I, crazy so we can yell at each other. Make, like, a really weird Bulls pick here. I don't think I'm going to pick a weird one. Okay. It's it's the, it's the first one that is gone away from my current projection. I will okay. say that. Uh at number four for the Bulls, I'm going to take Isaac Okoro. Oh, you're killing me. Okay. So the reason why I'm going to take Okoro for the Bulls is that they really just need wing help defensively. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't know what's going to happen with Otto Porter here going forward. I love hearing the sound of the Sharpie in the background, by the oh, way. Oh, that is the Sharpie. That's right. <laughs> uh, that's, been, that's fantasy football. That's wide receiver two coming off the board, you know. <laughs> I, that was like going to be my like not splashy pick, but like oh, he's going to be fifth. Like take that, but okay, all right, he's out. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. So I think they need some defensive help on the wing. They have their front court of the future theoretically set with Wendell Carter and Lowry Markinen. I'll be interested to see what Arturus Karnasovas does with that front court. Uh, I'm not convinced that those two can play together long term, but you do have Otto Porter who can slide down to the four. You do have Thaddeus Young, who can slide down to the four. Uh, Isaac Okoro, I think, is going to be able to guard fours, at least, at some point in his career. So even if you get rid of one of those guys, or if you get rid of Thaddeus Young or Otto Porter, you're essentially just, by drafting Isaac Okoro, you're creating more potential lineup versatility going forward for your lineups. Also, a team that has Kobe White and a team that has Zach Levine as its two backcourt members of the future, at least theoretically with Levine. He's on a good deal with two years, I think $35 million left. They really could decide to move him because I think there are a lot of teams that would be interested in acquiring him on that deal specifically. Given that, I want someone who can defend wings who can move on to guards who can slide down the lineup i think that he's kind of the chess piece that the chicago bulls need and he has real upside like he has some upside as a shot maker he's much better as a shooter off the pull-up than he is off the catch uh he has incredible passing vision he is an elite level playmaker as a wing uh he really knows how to read the back line of the defense i think it's a perfect fit for chicago that's the direction that i would go but I'm not necessarily convinced they're going to do that. Okay. Breaking hearts. Five picks at a time. Got it. All right. You're up. I'm five, right? Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, I did have a core on my board, but like most drafts, it doesn't always work that way. So I'm going to, I don't know if it's a reach, but I'm going to go with Patrick Williams here. Uh, Yep. Let's get nuts. Let's get nuts. I have Patrick Williams already doing myself over top and whatever. It's good nuts. Developing skill set, jumper. I know he didn't even start for Florida State. He's still scratching the surface of his game. He's 6'8", huge wingspan. You have Sexton and Garland. Both can be ball dominant. He won't necessarily need the ball in his hands. I think their best wing right now is like Jetty Osman. He's an upgrade over that. 
I just don't, I'm not as high on, I really like Obi Toppin, but in the top five, I don't know if I'm there. Wow. That is, that is an off the board move. I love it. Uh, how concerned are you about taking a guy that is that raw offensively <laughs> in the <laughs> in top start. five? Yeah, and there's nine points a game. Yeah, no, very. But if we're not going to – if we just pick, you know, one through ten on the big board, we're just going to be like everybody else, right? It's like I, I like Patrick Williams more than Dem Vassell, and we can talk about his jump shot development as we go on here. I mean, I know Obi Toppin's definitely going to be a name. Denny will definitely be a name. Uh, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna live with that one. I'm going Patrick Williams. Whoo, man! If his range, some... but, but here's the thing, right? Like his range is seven to fourteen. If he goes five, it's not like banana land. Yeah, I think seven is even like a little bit banana land for okay. Patrick Williams. Uh, I, it's tough for me to get past how raw he is. Like, I totally get the upside. I totally get the feel that he has defensively for off ball actions and for uh being able to make impact plays but i don't know man like it's gonna take well, a while he, he for also, him offensively also, i think he also fits the i would say like the pistons at seven too kind of that oklahoma city troy reaver style yep. valuing development potential so if he ends up 75 i'm i'm living with that one over him being younger too over some of the older prospects to, as well Okay, let's. Uh, oh man, man, you have uh, you have left me some names here for Atlanta. I think that I am gonna you've, go. You pick the same guy for Atlanta for ages. If you go different, I'm gonna yell. I think I am gonna go different for what it's worth because I'm kind of dropping a little bit on Halliburton. The more that okay. I kind of look at the fit, like I think he's definitely a lottery pick. Don't get me wrong, but um. I'm going to go – God, this sucks. We're at the sixth pick. This is <laughs> if this miserable. Sucks, if this sucks, what do you think NBA teams are doing right now? Oh, I know. Um, oh, God. I am going to take – I think I'm going to take – Anyeka Kongwu. Oh, God. Okay. I know that they just traded for Clint Capella. I think that that deal would be pretty easily movable again if they wanted to do so. If I'm Atlanta, I'm looking for a guy that can play as like a small ball closing center in addition to providing a real defensive impact for a team that has had very little defensive success in the Trey Young era. They have a lot of wings right now in Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter. Hunter uh, didn't have quite as good of a year defensively as what I anticipated him coming in. I thought he'd be a little bit better. Reddish drastically exceeded what I expected of him defensively. I think he's actually like an awesome defender right now for a wing that's 20 years old. They still finished 27th in defensive efficiency. They need someone that they can trust on the back line. Capella is hopefully that guy, but I don't really think you can close lineups with Capella on the court because I think that it would just be too hard uh, for him to guard in space, even now, uh, 
now that he's hit this point. A Kong Wu, I think, gives them an option to close with. I like him better as a fit with John Collins than I like uh, Capella, because at least a Kong Wu can put the ball on the deck a couple of times, whereas Capella is literally just like a lob. He can at least hit like a couple of short corner kickouts. Like he yep. can't dribble at all before doing that, though. Like you have to short roll him and then he has to make the immediate read to the pass, not like dribble twice patient, then pass. I, yeah, I don't love this pick by any stretch, but uh, again, like this would be a patented trade down situation for me. Like no questions asked, but uh, I'm going to go with uh, Anyeka Kong with Atlanta at six. I have him at number five on my board. Uh, I just believe in him becoming a high level NBA player. All right. We're already nuts. Okay. So seventh pick Detroit Pistons. I initially wanted Patrick Williams or Isaac Coral or Onyeka Kongwu. So we're, we're going down the boards while we have depth charts. They do need a starting point guard. So for that reason, I'm taking Tyrese Halliburton. Okay. He's, yeah, I mean, he's he's high enough on, on draft boards. I know the shot's funky, but people rave about his competitiveness, how he uses a kid, how he continues to get better. Uh, he'll be able to stir the drink there. I know with Blake Griffin, they don't necessarily have a, a ton of real pieces to build around. And the thing that jumps out is a point guard. He starts. I mean, that's that's what they ultimately need. And if you're here, that pick makes the most sense. So, are you worried about the lack of upside with this pick? Because I think Halliburton is going to be a really useful, like off-ball point guard kind of guy that needs someone who can be like a big wing creator next to him. Sure, but. I don't really see him as a primary. Do you see him as a primary? No, player? not necessarily. But again, we're kind of just playing with what's in front of us, right? So I I like his floor better than maybe Vassell's ceiling. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I do actually quite like Halliburton's floor. I have Halliburton ahead of Vassell. Um, number eight. Number eight with the New York Knickerbockers. Yep. I think I'm. This is good. I hear hear the clicking. This is good. This is good. I think I'm going to go with Killian Hayes. Wow. Over RJ Hampton. And the reason for that is I think that they're very close. I have them in the same tier, like a spot apart on my overall big board. If I was the Knicks, I would rather default to taking a point guard that can be a high-level distributor and can be a higher feel for the game player than a scoring guard in the vein that I think Hampton is. Because I don't think the idea of putting R.J. Hampton next to R.J. Barrett fosters positive offense. Right. Uh, Killian Hayes is a really left-hand dominant lead guard. He has good size at six foot five. He's a pretty good defender. He does have a reasonable pull-up game that look, the jumper isn't great, but there is some hope with him off of pull-ups. The big question for me is, can he get consistent separation at the next level to be able to take advantage of his vision? Uh, he is very good with his footwork and ball screens and very good uh, at finding 
little avenues and angles, even in the slightly more condensed floor that is European basketball versus NBA uh, geometry, uh, just due to the three-point line being further out. I think that all of those things pair better with the core that New York is building. And I think they pair better in all likelihood with the potential star players that New York is chasing over the course of the next few years than an RJ Hampton would, uh, or even than a Denny Avdia would, to be honest. Right. I really and, consider and Denny also, here as well. Yeah. I mean, they also have the 27th pick where if you look at most mocks or chatters, like that's like the guard spot for, for whatever the Tyrell Terry's Marikai Flynn's Grant Riller. So getting Killian Hayes here could also make sense. Cause like you said, you need to upgrade a point guard. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with Killian Hayes here. So you're up at like number that. number nine. Number nine, yep. Okay, third on the depth chart here for head for the Wizards. I'm going to go with Vassell. They need defense and Eve toughness playing next to John Wall, playing next to Brad Beal. He doesn't necessarily need as many touches to get his own offense going. He does have a lot of two-way potential, and you immediately upgrade your perimeter defense. I think he's likely the... I, I know the the jump shot we saw. Let, let's talk week. about let's, that. Yeah, here in we a go. Yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but anyway, like I, I think the jump. I don't think he shot forty two percent back to back years. I got to stop saying think. He shot forty two percent back to back years. Although it's a small sample size, that he shot like sixty two of them his first year. His jumper will get there, despite it looking terrible uh, in that quick little clip we saw. So Devin Massell, that's the pick for the Wizards. It, it fits their current personnel pretty well. So you. <laughs> I'm not saying I really do have many concerns about the Vassell jumper thing. Um, yep. He has good touch. I am a little bit worried about like the lack of sample. Cause like he has never been like a high volume three point shooter. And exactly, now we yeah. have, especially his freshman year. Yeah. And now we have some mechanical questions to ask. So I think his he's further ahead defensively than he is offensively. Totally. Right. And, and that's what I'm kind of saying with, with Beal and John Wall. I mean, those guys want to score. I mean, Beal led the league in scoring. Is that right? Uh, Bradley Beal, I think, finished second in the league in scoring. Okay. Like 30 points per game. And, and John Wall's going to come back and do the same. Like, you don't want a, a ball-dominant guy. He can switch, has some versatility. He's going to put on a little bit of weight, but I like him there. So... I'm up now at number 10. I'm going to take Obi Toppin. Okay, there he is. He's getting lonely in the, the virtual green room because he's top four, top five everywhere. Yeah, these are the, the two guys left here that I really like and am a little bit surprised. Like, you you taking Patrick Williams at five really led to the Denny Avdia slide. Oh, yeah. Um, and then me taking a Kong Wu at six instead of Avdia, who I strongly considered at number six and at number eight, frankly, because I think that that would have made some sense as well. Um, I've gone with top in here because I actually quite like the defensive ability that Phoenix is built from their front court. I'm a believer in DeAndre Ayton defensively. Yeah. Take the words out of my mouth. You got to be a believer in him then if you believe in their defense. Yeah. I believe in DeAndre Ayton defensively. Uh, he is seven foot one, moves exceptionally well on the perimeter, and is getting better as a rim protector every you know time he steps on the court. It seems he was genuinely good by the time that the stoppage 
had taken over. Like, I really genuinely think that he was a better defensive player than Jaron Jackson this year. And Really? Okay. Yes. Uh, well, it's I, because when he laces up his shoes, just he has visions of Luka Doncic dancing in his head like he has to prove himself <laughs> every night. It could be that. But yeah. I, I wrote about the Jaron Jackson versus DeAndre Ayton thing in the Rookie Scale Rankings article I did a while ago. So if you're curious about why I feel that way, please go read that. Um, you put Toppin in between Ayton and Mikhail Bridges, who is just a freak show defensively. Like, going to be all defense maybe as soon as next season, in my opinion. Um, I think that they can really cover for Toppin and then really allow him to just explore the studio space offensively in the way that he is capable of. We know that he is a high-level passer, a super high-level shooter, a great pick-and-roll option, um, can actually handle the ball a little bit, can create his own shot. Like I think he's very similar to what we see John Collins do in Atlanta, except Phoenix has the defensive infrastructure around him to be able to hide a lot of what his issues are defensively. Right. Yeah, I'm on board with that. I mean, you talk me into it. I, I, the Phoenix, if they got Obi Toppin at 10, you would think they'd be pretty excited. Well, and the other part of it is, too, that they could use a small ball center option, potentially, to look at closing games. And while I'm not, like, ecstatic about Obi Toppin as, like, a game closer, necessarily, um, at the center position, at least, I think that there are worlds where he can develop into that if he can improve his hip flexibility. Yeah, he could be a capable small ball five closer but the defense definitely has to step up because that would would scare me a little bit okay matt you're up at number 11 okay 11 san antonio spurs we're hoping for a florida state slide for patrick williams of a cell i think we ruined that they definitely need a wing could use some shooting so i'm gonna go with sadiq bay at 11 has some all-around tools to his game shoots well with his feet set shows in spurs ability to really defend especially ball handlers, think a little bit more of a defender than you get from a, an Aaron E. Smith. I know you probably have an RJ there, but my pick is uh, my pick is in, Sadiq Bay, Villanova. It's a good pick for them. They need a wing shooter, like you said. Doesn't it I think fit, it, though? Doesn't he seem like a spur? He does, and they tend to like these very mature players. Um, they're, I'm stunned, and I'm, I'm going to end this slide now. Uh, yeah, it's coming. I know. <laughs> yeah. I know you're doing Sa- it. It's Denny Town. Yeah. yeah, the Sacramento Kings are going to take Denny off Dia. Uh, this, this is so much lower than what than where Denny is going to go um, on well, draft and, night. And, and your, your kind of defense, though, he's 10th on your big board. I mean, this is the 12th pick. Yeah, I'd have him up to 9, I think, right now. 9 or 8 right, well, at the 12. moment. 12. It's not crazy crazy, but no, I hear you. It's not crazy crazy, but NBA teams are also considerably higher on him than I am too um it's just this is a value pick straight up like i don't even really love the asset like fit here uh they have harrison barnes they have marvin bagley who they think is a four versus a five uh he's a five i think he's straight up a five five. uh 
I think there are worlds where you can play that you have Dia, Harrison Barnes, and Marvin Bagley together uh, as a 3-4-5 combination. They actually do have pretty complementary skills. Harrison Barnes is kind of an isolation scorer spacer. Uh, Denny Avdia is a pick-and-roll secondary playmaker and athletic you know, kind of combo forward hybrid. And then Marvin Bagley is being a freak show finisher around the basket uh, who can hopefully do something in terms of switchability defensively, although the jury is out on that let's say uh it might even be might even still be in and he might not be a good enough defender but yeah denny Avdia is a very skilled six foot nine forward can run pick and rolls as a ball handler has great vision has great touch on his passes uh you know can also run a pick and roll as a screener and then short roll and uh really kind of tear the defense apart from the inside as a passer and playmaker uh the key with me is the jump shot. I don't really love the jump shot, to be honest. Uh, I think it's going to take him some time. Again, another guy that's a little bit more comfortable off of pull-ups than he is off the catch, which is a little bit concerning as you try to transition into playing more of an off-ball role, which next to a guy like De'Aaron Fox, and you know, if they re-sign Bogdan Bogdanovich, that's what he'd be playing. But the value's too good here. Like, he Denny, even, even where I have Denny at eight, like it's, it's the end of a tier kind of like around 11 and for, for Denny to last outside of that tier, I think is too far. Yeah. And you've seen Denny far more than I have. So I I also want to claim that to ignorance more than anything other than I've seen the rest of the guys on the board significantly more. That's not a hedge either. I still stick on my pick. Just that's my justification for it. No, of course, and I, I think it's yeah. reasonable on your part. Um, I'm not going to pretend like I'm Joe FIBA, yeah. <laughs> you're a Joe FIBA. Joe FIBA, guy. international scout. Yeah, 13, Norland I'm going to start texting you and just being like, hey, hey Joe, Joe FIBA, FIBA, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> you see this Poku highlights? Uh, oh, yeah, my so God. 13, Norland Pelicans. Definitely need a shooter around Zion and Brandon Ingram. Spread the floor, space the floor. I'm going to go with Aaron Naismith. Uh, a floor spacer should be in their crosshairs. They missed out on the first crop of wings here. I think they should be pretty reasonably happy they're still on the board. He moves well without the ball. He knows how to use screens to get open. Definitely need some defense upgrade next to Zion, I'd say, at the 5-2. But for me, this is a little early for like a Jalen Smith type. So if, if Naismith's still on the board here, that would be my pick. Yeah, I think it's exactly what they need. Um, you know, We talked about Aaron Naismith on the last podcast with Spencer Perlman. And I agree with Spencer. I think there's like a lot of Alan Crabb kind of qualities in Aaron Naismith. And honestly, if I was New Orleans, I would be relatively comfortable with just getting that skill set. Even if we think that that's like a median outcome to a maybe like a 40 to 30% outcome. And that's what he ends up being. And you get that guy at 13. I think that's that's really all you need him to do, right? Like just mostly fine. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I think that's mostly fine uh, in a win at the end of the day. Uh, Number 14, the Boston Celtics. I am going to go RJ Hampton. Yes, you are. Uh, I tend to believe in the mechanic upgrade that he's made. Uh, I believe in Mike Miller being able to really help guys with their jump shot. Uh, He has made very substantial growth over the course of the last eight months you can see it just in the mechanics right like totally it's important to this is why it's important to evaluate these guys in the pre-draft process um 
you look at someone like a Devin Vassell versus what RJ Hampton has done. These are guys that currently look like they're going in two different directions. Now I would still trust Vassell's jump shot considerably more than I would trust RJ Hampton's jump shot, but it's important for the way that we value these guys. Like Devin Vassell's value is as a three and D shooter, wing defender, team defender. Whereas RJ, I think is more of an upside play and an upside play for Boston that where they can really afford to take a swing on someone like this. Additionally, I think Boston needs a backup point guard long-term over the next three years who brings something different defensively than what Kemba Walker does. Mm -hmm. Uh, RJ Hampton is not like a great defender right now, but he has the tools to be a good defender at some point if he gets into the right scheme where they can really teach him. And Boston is a great defensive scheme where they take advantage of tools. And I think they need someone with size at the point guard position behind Kemba Walker to be able to give teams a different look as Kemba ages uh, and gets to that point where he is in his 30s. Yeah, backup point guard, some combo, maybe some shooting guard. Instant offense off the bench. That makes sense there. Yeah, I, I think that that's it's kind of like great... the best available between point guard scoring center. Like he's the best guy of those three. Yeah, strongly considered Kyra Lewis here. Uh, strongly considered Alexei Pukashevsky here, uh, just as a total flyer. But I'm going to go with RJ Hampton. I think that it's a great upside swing, and I think it's something that actually fills a real need for them. So that's kind of what I had. I had RJ and Kyra as well for Boston. Then my pick 15, Orlando Magic. They have plenty of bigs, combo forwards. Kyra could be a, a good change of pace next to Markel Fultz. It's a DJ Augustine contingency plan, as my uh, scouting department has informed me as well. Uh, that kind of fits there more of you don't know necessarily how Fultz was going to pan out. He had a good year, not a great year, showed some flashes. But I, I think that Kyra is a, a fit for what they do alongside the other pieces that they have. Yeah, I really like that pick. Uh, I think it has some potential to play with Markel Fultz as well. Oh, yeah, no, totally, too. And I, and I think it allows both of them to kind of play off the ball. I mean, not that Kyra Lewis, Lewis is a shooting guard, but those type of situations coming off a pin-down screen, curling, making plays in the lane, kicking it out, playing with a head of steam. I mean, Fultz, this is the same way. Like, I think there's times where he's comfortable playing off the ball. There's situations in Orlando this past season he bring it up kind of hit away go to the corner then come back to it he played a lot of shooting guard uh growing up too it became more of a point guard was at Damatha his senior year but can do both yep uh oh man this gets tricky in a hurry now for Portland because I think Portland would prefer that one of these wings fall to number 16 uh, if I was Portland, I would even consider moving up to like the number 10, 11, 12 range. Like you listen to some of the rumors about like who Phoenix is doing interviews with, like they're doing interviews with a lot of point guards uh, that also are a bit lower on draft boards in addition to taking care of their business at 10 as well. Sure. So wouldn't totally stun me if Phoenix looked back and if I was Portland, I would look at uh, trying to move up to guarantee me one of those wings. But without those wings being on the board, I am going to go with Precious Achua here at number 16. That's what I had slated for you. It's crawled inside your brain. I had Precious down for Sam. Yeah. And the reason is that with the defensive structure that Portland plays, they actually do kind of need 
two bigs because they need that backline defender who can come over and rotate over and also be athletic to recover out on the cross corner kick and do so intelligently with athleticism and with actual uh, control and poise within that drop coverage, heavy drop defensive scheme that they run. Precious is an elite level defender. In my opinion, he is someone who is going to be, he is probably the only true one through five defender in this draft. Would you agree with that? I hate saying people can guard one through five, but if there's somebody, it's probably he's the closest. Yeah, between his motor, his rim protection this year, Memphis had, uh, I believe, the best rim protection in the uh, in all of college basketball this season uh, among the high major leagues, including the AAC and West Coast Conference and um, I believe the Mountain West as well. Uh, they allowed something like 44% at the rim this year, according to Pivot. So Precious was a big role there. He can also play any pick and roll coverage that you need him to. He can switch out onto guards. I have real concerns about what he looks like offensively, but I think there's enough upside with him offensively to where it's worthwhile. And then additionally, he gives them more of a small ball center option to be able to play if there's a team that's really giving Nurkic problems in pick and roll. And we've talked about it before in regard to Precious that he's going to be in a, a team if he goes to Portland, an organization that won't need him to score based on the scoring they get from the backcourt. So if he can get a bucket here or there, I, I think that's enough as long as he's strong defensively. Yeah. So let's uh, let's go to number 17. 17, Minnesota Timberwolves. We also have the first pick. This is more of like a fit pick for me more than I think this guy is the top on the board because you do need – more defense in the front court, especially next to Carl Anthony Town. So I'm going to go with Jalen Sticks Smith from Maryland. I think that he'll kind of fit more of that void, more of that defensive lineup that they would have to go for here. I don't know if Pre- I mean pressure's already off the board. I don't know if he necessarily fits. There's obviously not star power this deep. Uh, defensive wings are probably off the board at this point as well. So Jalen Smith. I don't hate it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't love it, but uh, again, situationally, it fits. It's not the big board number seventeen. It's seventeen going to the T Wolves. Yeah, I mean, I, I have Jalen at like number twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven, something like that. Uh, there are teams that have Jalen in this range. Uh, there are teams that really like him. How concerned are you about his lack of flexibility? Because that's what I keep coming back to is. I worry about what kind of... He is stiff, yeah. Yeah, what kind of impact can he make defensively if he can't really drop his hips and be able to defend in space at all? Uh, Well, it's it's certainly a concern because defending in space as a big is is half the battle other than rim protection. And as your world-famous drop coverage uh, spinoffs go, too, Like it's going to be a lot of different looks. But for, for what's here... I think it checks enough boxes to be a safe-ish pick. Yeah, I get that. Uh, it's a really good fit. You definitely are right there. And again, they run, they brought over David Vanterpool, who is interviewing for other jobs right now as well, head coaching jobs. But they brought over David Vanterpool from Portland last year and installed that similar drop coverage scheme in Minnesota. Uh, so they do need that roaming backside rim protector in the same way that I just talked about with Portland. Uh, Jalen Smith 
does certainly do that. I think that Sticks has some potential to be an upside rim protector, but it's a it's a reach for me, not a disaster one though necessarily. It is. We're we're also seventeen in what we've described as the wackiest, craziest draft ever. So we're just fitting True. the bill of what we're doing. Yeah. Okay. Do you want me to make the eighteenth pick for you because I know what it's going to be? I'm not going to take Pukyshevsky here. What? Actually. Oh, okay. I you're just doing that because I you knew I said you were gonna take him. I'm not actually because I don't know that I would take him if I was them. Um, okay. Really, what they need is a, a, a two way wing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Name Devin again. <laughs> this is another team that I think should try and move up to get into that like Naismith Bay, Patrick Williams, etc. tier. Right. With that being said, I am going to take. Oh man, this is miserable, dude. This is. I, I'm going to take. I can't even bring myself to take Tyrese Maxey because I think they need get weird. Shooters. Get weird. Home game, Texas kid. You take him. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna actually take Desmond Bain. Oh God! Here. Okay, all right, all right, all right. And I had, I had Desmond Bain next to my board, as you can tell. They desperately need shooting around Luka Doncic to be able to space the floor. Bain can defend one through three, and uh, really just kind of fits everything that they should be looking for for a starting wing next to Luka Doncic. It is like a slight reach for me. But not enough of a reach to where I'm uncomfortable. Well, Dallas should know the the ins and outs of him with him being at TCU too. So if they take him, it means he must really, really check out because I'm sure they've seen him as much, yeah. if not more, than everybody on the board. And he does like he does check out, like in terms yeah. of uh, character, in terms of work ethic, all of that. You don't have to worry about any of that with Desmond Bain. Um, I'm gonna go with him at 18, which is. I think his range is probably this is like the top of his range. It's probably yeah, like eighteen I had him at 19, to thirty. Yeah, a little lower. But yeah. Um yeah, I'm gonna take Bane at eighteen for Dallas. Okay. I'll I'll hit the lightning rounds a little bit here. So nineteen Brooklyn Nets, Bane was on my board. They definitely need backup guards in addition to some depth in other places, but I'm gonna go with Tyrese Maxey. I, I don't think he's Devin Booker, Ooh. I don't think he's Tyler Hero like people are painting him out to be, but I think that it is some upside to what he can do if he adjusts his shot a little bit his numbers the world's famous he's better than his shooting numbers show all the interviews have been rave about his character his personality how hard he wants to work i think it fits there in brooklyn alongside the other superstars that they've recently acquired and have been sitting on all right so this one's going to be off the wall okay this is where i'm taking pukashevsky 20 to That's Miami. not that bad. I thought I'd take him three picks before. Okay. I have not heard him. I, I'll say, like, I haven't heard him connected here at all, um, necessarily. But can you imagine a better developmental situation for a guy that is incredibly skinny and has the kind of physical tools that he does, just in terms of being seven foot tall, great length, can knock down shots on the move. Like he actually really fits a lot of what their offense looks for as well. Plus it's hard for me to imagine a better fit for him 
than Bam Adebayo if he hits into his upside. Well, it's, uh, yeah, right. And it's like Miami just made the NBA Finals. They'll have, like, a, what, a max contract spot in a year. Is that right? Yes. So if you have that, this is – I know I say this too often, but this is a dice roll here where it's like, all right, whatever. Like, what else is on the board? They have a, a pretty decent bench. They could use a little bit more bench scoring. But if they're high enough on that guy and they can get him, they really don't need him to do anything the first year or two. It could be one of those picks that we say, how did this kid last till 20? Yeah. If he stinks, it, like, whatever. Like, it, it's just a it's a write-off. Yeah, and look, like, with Dallas, like, it's hard for me to pair Pukashevsky with Kristaps. And I think that Dallas is closer to competing now than later. But I also think Dallas has real holes that they need to fill now versus Miami, who doesn't necessarily have those holes that they need to fill, given the fact that they just made the NBA Finals and pushed the Lakers in a few games. Um, I think they can afford to take a home run swing, especially given the way that this roster is going to change over the course of the next few years. Yes, agreed. So that moves on to me, 21 Philadelphia 76ers. I'm going to take Sam Vecini's MVP, Malachi Flynn. I love they it. Need some, they, they need some ball handling, shooting, scoring, maybe even off the bench. He fits a little bit what, what they do. I like him as kind of like that next tier of guards here down. He's like one of five for me. So with him being the best on the board, we'll take Malachi. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I like it a lot. I think it makes total sense. Um, a guy that can step in earlier than potentially a Tyrell Terry can and help a team that wants to compete sooner rather than later. So I'm a fan. I, I think it's the kind of home run swing that really, really works there. Um, man, we've only got one guy in my top 20 left. You take him? I still don't think I'm going to take him because okay. the Nuggets have Monte Morris in addition to Jamal Murray. So I don't really see a point guard here as being the fit. I think they would love to take a wing as just about every team in this range would love to take a wing. I am nonetheless going to go with Xavier Tillman here. Wow. Okay. The Nuggets have... Mason Plumley, Paul Millsap, and Jeremy Grant all entering free agency this year. Those are three really, really core pieces to who they are defensively. Less so with Plumley because of his general slowness. But if you look, Mike Malone very clearly trusted Mason Plumley defensively a lot, given the fact that he kept putting him in at the end of games. Xavier Tillman is one of the most versatile defenders in this entire draft. Someone that could play the backup center next to Jokic. And I think as long as the shot translates in a way that I think it has potential to and continue to grow uh, because he is such an incredibly hard worker and a mature kid. Someone that could play with Jokic at some point and really help insulate him defensively. Uh, in a way that helps. So I want a guy that can be an elite level screen setter roller that you could really invert some actions, play some five, four pick and roll stuff with Jokic and Tillman. They love ball movement style of players in this scheme. 
Tillman is one of the best passers of any big man in this draft, if not the best passing big man in this draft. It's a perfect fit for scheme. It's a good fit for what they need. And he is closer to being able to play than most of the guys that will be taken in this range because of his maturity. So I'm going to go Xavier Tillman at 22. I also didn't realize you had him at 24. I thought you had him like 30. That's why I exclaimed the way I did. No, I'm an enormous Xavier Tillman fan. I think he's awesome. Yep. All right, so 23, Utah Jazz. I think you can go an upside play here, despite them probably needing more depth depth on the bench as well. A little bit of a polarizing name, but I'm going to go with Jaden McDaniels. Had an up-and-down year at Washington, was rated as high as a top-five recruit coming out of high school. He has the size, has some 3-4 ability to him. If he can put it together, I think it's a really good fit for the Jazz. I mean, I know Josh Green will be in the mix, maybe another wing. They could use, you know, positionally a replacement for Jordan Clarkson, but McDaniels is going to be my pick here. Yeah, I don't hate that. I mean, even though I have, I have Jaden like somewhere in the late thirties right now, I've actually moved him up a little bit the more that I think about the skill set. Um, I totally get it. I think he's probably, his, his draft range is right in this range. Um, I'm just not quite as high on these projecty guys as some other evaluators are, but you know, McDaniels does have very real athleticism, uh, showed some defensive help side instincts this year, obviously uh, has some potential to shoot it and create shots as well. So I get it. I, I don't hate the pick here at all. Yeah. As long as I say it's even keel doesn't rack up technical fouls, makes the most of his minutes. It could work. So I'm going to take a point guard here for the Milwaukee Bucks. Okay. I'm bummed that it's not going to be either of the two that I have highest on my board because there are enough shooting questions about both Cole Anthony and Trey Jones to where I would feel uncomfortable pairing them with a potentially Giannis-led offense. I'm going to go Tyrell Terry here at number 24. Tyrell Terry is a case as the best shooter in this draft. The Bucks desperately just need shooting from the point guard position. I don't know if Terry is going to be able to step in immediately and play, but he's someone that if Giannis does choose to resign is exactly what they need from the point guard position as a floor spacer, as an unselfish passer, uh, as someone who just generally makes a lot of sense within that scheme. Yeah, no, I, I, I get those points for sure. That makes sense there. Yeah. It, like, I, I don't like that Cole Anthony and Trey Jones are still on the board, but fits matter at the end of the day. We, fit really matters. Right. So to segue from fit, Oklahoma City Thunder, they probably need a Stephen Adams, Gallo contingency plan. So for that reason, I am taking Isaiah Stewart out of Washington. Uh I I know there's still maybe guys a little bit higher on the board, but again, talking fit, he seems to be a better piece than maybe the other guys. And as we've talked about before, if his shooting really does improve, or just he's able to showcase it more than he did during his time in college, this could also be a really good pick. High character kid, works really hard, will rebound tight-ish hips a little bit and i know a lot of his points were in the paint this past year but i think we'll be able to see a more expanded role once he plays the nba so 
At number 26, I'm going to take Cole Anthony. And I know that I took RJ Hampton earlier for the Boston Celtics. But I think that they need depth in the backcourt enough to where I'm comfortable taking multiple lead guards like this. And at 26, I just think that the upside with Anthony is way too great. Uh, This is way too low for him, I think. But it is like a distinct possibility that he ends up going this low. They need someone who can be an offensive force off of the bench. They just need more firepower. If they can get both RJ Hampton and Cole Anthony and one of them hits, that's probably going to be enough. And I think that the way that Boston should enter this draft is almost by considering this as like a home run swing draft. We want to take shots on guys who can be very high level players for us. And then at number 30 and at number 47, we can take guys that are going to be more uh, role players for us. Cause there are enough of those guys in this draft to where I think that you can find them. Right. So I have 27. I have the Knicks. You selected earlier for the Knicks, Killian Hayes. They do need guard depth. So because of Dennis Smith Jr., Alfred Payton, Frank, who knows how that kind of shakes out there. One of my higher guys, I think, than most, I'm going to take Grant Ruller here from the College of Ooh. Charleston. Yeah. Over I really Trey liked, Jones. I, yeah. I, no, I really like Trey Jones, as we've discussed at length. Grant, I think, maybe fits a little bit better with Killian Hayes can play. I mean, I know he's small, but he's played off the ball at Charleston, too, can score it a little bit better, I'd say, than Trey. And, and Grant's going to look a lot better when he, he's not double-teamed every possession like he was this past season. Yeah, I totally agree. One of the best finishers in this class, regardless of size, regardless of anything, uh, he's really going to just make shots at the end of the day. Uh, I think he's going to be a scorer. He's going to be a bench scorer for a long time. And uh, this one makes real sense to me uh, as backcourt depth for the Knicks. I don't know if I'd have gone this direction, but I think the value is right for Grant sure. Miller right in this range. Um, number 28. I am going to take Trey Jones here for the Lakers. Yeah, I, I love that, that there, actually. I know that LeBron tends to like guys who can shoot and it's important to find shooting. But the thing that LeBron likes more than that are guys who can defend and guys who process the game incredibly well. And Trey Jones ticks all of those boxes for sure. So I'm going to go Trey Jones here because it he's also a better shooter off the catch than he is uh, off of pull-ups. So I kind of think that that would be an interesting fit with LeBron. His ability to play point of attack defense would be very strong uh, in this scheme. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in on the Trey Jones idea for the Lakers. Yeah, it works. I think the high ball screen stuff that LeBron does too, kind of to your point, if he can stash away in the corner with his feet set, those are the type of shots that he wants. He's going to have a lot of those opportunities if he finds his way on the floor. can defend with defensive player in the ACC this past season. So that works. All right, you're up at number 29. Your final yeah, pick. Ra- yeah, I know. So this is like depth up front. Yeah, Xavier Tillman's long gone. I am going to go with, just because I, I like him as a prospect, I don't know how good of a pick it necessarily is, but I'm going to go with Robert Woodard here. 
You stole Robert Woodard from me at 30. There you go. Perfect. So it worked. It was the right pick. Uh, Why do you like I, I Robert Woodard? Robert Woodard, because he, he has, I think, more versatility than people give him credit for. And knowing that kind of we've talked about all throughout this, not that he's the most versatile, but can be somewhat versatile defensively, can do some switching stuff. I, I, he's a little bit undervalued to me. Maybe he's like a, a few picks higher, but if you're 29, I can pull him there. I'm pretty happy with that. So at number 30, I'm going to take Josh Green. Okay. High-level defender would essentially replace a lot of what Shemi Ojale brings while also not being a total zero offensively. Um, Shemi has unfortunately turned into that because the jump shot isn't quite reliable enough. And Josh's jump shot isn't much better, but Josh is a lot more comfortable getting out in transition. He's a lot faster. He plays with a lot more athleticism, better ball handler. Uh, I am going to go Josh Green and be pretty happy here. Josh Green is... Actually, randomly, the highest player left on my board, and he is number twenty. I was just gonna say, I'm, I'm just, I'm just looking here because that's what I was using to sharpie back and forth. But despite us having some shakeups of where they went, we kind of just went one through thirty of who you had. But which is weird. Like I'm so actually a, a little exercise. bit surprised. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, no, I am too. I thought it'd be a, a few reaches here and there, like Elijah Hughes, maybe a reach if he snuck in somewhere. I mean, Otoru, maybe if you're Toronto, you need some depth up front. Bulmaro is a stash for some teams. Yeah, yeah. Makes no, a lot some of people sense. Like Bulmaro, yeah. Um, a couple other sneaky guys that I keep looking at and think could go higher. Like, we don't have Nico Mannion here. I don't know that Nico Mannion is a first rounder anymore. Jamias Ramsey, we don't have here. Jamias was discussed very early on as being a first rounder for sure. Uh, let's see here. Zeke Naji. There's an underrated, was, there's un, yeah, there's an underrated second round. Uh, yeah, I think of, there's a lot of good options there. It's not all draft and stash or like whatever. There's some guys there that could creep in the end of the first, or if not, like there's there's good two way action on. Like I really like Najee Marshall. I think that he has a, a chance to potentially figure out. I like Jamias Ramsey. You know, Isaiah Joe probably goes in the 30s for his shooting. Yeah, like Emmanuel quickly is it like 40 for me. Uh, right. Peyton Pritchard was a finalist for me for the Wooden Award this year, or the Naismith Award, whichever one I vote for. I think it's the Naismith. Um, I had him in my top three, and I have him at like 41 or something yeah, like that. Uh, people really like him in the 30s, so I could see that. It, it's yeah. it's where you kind of shake out. I mean, we look at our last, uh, I don't know, say six. No, you know, from 20 down, so like the last 10 picks, we went for guards. There's Malachi, Tyrell Terry, Cole Anthony, Riller, Trey Jones. You could have a team that has the inverse of that and Peyton Pritchard's second there or Nico Mannion's fourth. So all those guys are, are still firmly in the mix for that end of the first, I would think anyway. Yeah, like I really like Cassius Winston. Uh, I think he's going to be a really, really good long-term NBA point guard. Uh, he would make a lot of sense for the Lakers as a guy that is super competitive, can shoot, can pass. Devon Dotson is not in this first round and Devon Dotson might be the fastest player in this draft. Yeah, Sam Merrill in, in, in really good shape. Saw a workout video of him this week. Sam Merrill, I think would be my pick as the best shooter in this draft. And he doesn't go in the first round. Zeke Naji is six eleven and can really move his feet and can finish around the basket. He doesn't go in this first round. There are, there are real names here that teams are going to be able to get into the forties. I think I'm going to end up having something like 47 guys that I think are guaranteed contract worthy. 
which is more than what you would expect. In That's a what I was going to say. It's, it's probably pretty, pretty more. It has to be in the higher range of the last three, four drafts anyway. Yeah, and even guys like Najee Marshall and Tyshawn Alexander and Paul Reed and Yudoka Azubuke, like those guys don't even fall in that range for me. And I would love to get those guys on two-way contracts because I think they have real developmental potential. Tyler Bay is another one. Like I would love to get Tyler Bay on a two-way contract for as much as I think he's probably rated a little too high right now. Yeah, or summer league slash fall league, winter league, whenever the new summer league, whatever season they're playing, if you get them on their roster for a low guarantee and see if it pans out, there there are some roster guys there. Yeah. Uh, anything else here, Penny, before we get out of here? I think we got to cover. People are probably thinking we're crazy for doing this exercise, but I had a lot of fun. Yeah, this was great. Uh, hopefully I'll have some more fun this weekend beating you in fantasy football and picking up my first win. Really, really, we'll, I will we'll take... see. I'll send a sc- I'll send a screenshot, and once we have finals, maybe, maybe the halfway through, because <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of faith in your your backups here, and, and who knows who actually plays too. We got to take that into consideration. Yeah, like my starting quarterback is Ryan Fitzpatrick. I have Brian Hill in the starting lineup right now. Um, Fitzpatrick's been good. T- Tim Patrick is in my starting lineup right now. Uh, you, you caught me with the Michael Thomas, Darren Waller buys too, which does help. But oh boy, this is a this is a roster right now, Penny. It is a it it is. I'm flailing here. You're flailing at at week six, but so are the actual <laughs> NFL franchises. So we're all in this together. That's true, Penny. Tell the people where they can find your work. I'm on Twitter at mpenny m p e n n one e. Trying to put up more draft stuff, more bad draft dad jokes as we get closer here. I'll be doing a few more videos, clips here and there. Who knows how many will be released after what's gone on the last week? But check in, see what we got. Leave some ratings, leave some reviews, uh, whatever you can do to support the podcast. Please do it. I will be back later. Next week, I would say, with more off-season previews, I've got at least one guest lined up already, uh, probably another one who's going to come on as well, but uh, we'll figure that out next week. It'll be not Monday, which is the typical release, because I think I'm flying from Sydney to Melbourne that day, but uh, it will be sometime uh you know, probably Tuesday to Wednesday or so. So until next time, folks, we will talk soon. Bye.